the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. We have to always make sure that it lines up with Scripture. I, I don't trust every voice in my head. I hope you don't either. And so there are times we can get it wrong. But what I am saying is the way that you can best discern the voice of the Lord from all the other voices and clutter in our world is to spend time with Him, to just meditate on His Word, to spend quiet time in prayer, and sometimes just listening. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through John. There are many voices in our world vying for your attention. Many of them are very clever and sound an awful lot like our Good Shepherd Jesus. They pull from sound biblical truth, but then add their self-serving twist, spoiling the truth in a way that may be nearly undetectable to complacent Christians. As Pastor Gary will challenge us in today's message, the only way you can learn to discern Jesus' voice from the imposters is by spending a lot of time devoted to listening to Him and studying who He is. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John, chapter 10, as he continues his message, I am the door of the sheep. The doorkeeper in this city sheep pen would be entrusted with the well-being and the safety of these sheep. And, and you would basically pay a doorkeeper when you would bring your sheep into the sheep pen and the doorkeeper would watch all night long to make sure that no sheep were lost and no harm came to any sheep. And, and then the next morning, all the different shepherds would go to this central sheep pen where all the sheep had been kept overnight. By the way, if any of those sheep ever had trouble sleeping, they would just count each other. All right, that's the second and last sheep joke for the day. But in the morning, when the shepherds would go to retrieve their flocks, how would you know which sheep belonged to which shepherd? Well, it was easy. The way that you would distinguish your sheep from all the other sheep that were mixing with yours in this central sheep pen was to call out to them because your sheep would know your voice. And when you would call out to them, only your sheep would perk up turn to you and leave the sheep pen by way of the doorkeeper. Now, I actually saw this firsthand for myself about 15 years ago on one of our trips to Israel when we were in the countryside, the hills of Bethlehem. 
And I noticed uh, a flock of sheep, uh, probably 40 or 50 sheep. And I noticed two shepherds. I just thought they were working the same flock together. Little did I know that they were just together, but there were two different flocks led by each of these shepherds. And I watched them. And all of a sudden, one of the shepherds started to go the opposite direction, got about 30 yards away, turned back, and then called out to the sheep. And only his sheep perked up, turned, saw him, and then ran to him. The other sheep that belonged to the other shepherd didn't even lift up their heads, continued to graze, were completely unfazed by what just happened. Now, two things crossed my mind when I saw that happen. One was a reminder of this story and how sheep know the voice of their shepherd. The other thing that crossed my mind, because these were, these were Arab shepherds on the hillsides of Bethlehem. The other thing that crossed my mind was, how do these sheep know Arabic? That just shows you my ignorance. Anyway, I saw it firsthand. The sheep know the voice of their shepherd. Let me ask you a question. How well, how well do you know the voice of your shepherd? How well do you know the voice of your shepherd, Jesus? Now, have you ever wondered how to tell the difference between your own voice, God's voice, and even Satan's voice? Um, It's a common question I've gotten over the years of ministry, And my answer to that is, how can you distinguish God's voice from all the other voices? Well, the answer is the same way that you distinguish the voice of people that you love from all other people that you don't know. How can you tell the voice of, if you're married, of your spouse without seeing them? You can just tell by knowing their voice, the voice of your children, the voice of one of your closest and best friends. Um, The answer is because you spend time with them. You know, if, when I go home at the end of the day, and if Terry's home, I don't have to go through the door and say, hello, Terry, this is Gary, I'm home. I mean, all I have to do is say, hi, honey, I'm home. She knows my voice, and she doesn't respond by saying, hello, excuse me, can you identify yourself? I mean, we know each other, and the reason we know each other is because we have spent time with each other. And over the course of a relationship, you know the voice of somebody. They don't have to identify themselves. You know their voice because you're familiar with it because you've spent time with them. I would submit to you, and I don't say this in a way to shame anybody. I'm just saying this as a matter of fact. The reason why a lot of Christians don't know the voice of the Lord is because they simply are not spending enough time with him. The more time that we spend with the Lord, the more we will begin to discern the voice of the Lord. You know, when... The Lord spoke to Elijah, the prophet. He, he did not speak in this, you know, in, in these loud ways. Um, he spoke, the Bible says, in a still, small voice. Um, you know, God can speak audibly. We see that in Scripture. But most of the time, he speaks by way of that still, small voice in your heart, where you just begin to understand and discern the voice of the Lord because you've been spending time with him. And and I can tell you that it's taken years to really begin to understand and hear and recognize and distinguish the voice of the Lord in my own life. And by the way, we have to always make room for for our flesh. When we feel like we're hearing the voice of the Lord, we have to meditate on that. And we have to always make sure that it lines up with Scripture. I don't trust every voice in my head. 
I hope you don't either. And so there are times we can get it wrong. But what I am saying is the way that you can best discern the voice of the Lord from all the other voices and clutter in our world is to spend time with him, to just meditate on his word, to spend quiet time in prayer, and sometimes just listening to the Lord, not always talking and telling him what you want or what you need, but a lot of times just being still before the Lord and knowing that he is God, inclining your ear to the still, small voice of the Lord, being able to distinguish and discern his voice from all the other voices. And so it really is a matter of taking time. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And so as we spend time with him, we will be able to better discern his voice. Now, hearing him, hearing his voice is only half of it. The other half is obeying what we hear. And Jesus said at the end of verse 4, and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Following him is obeying him. And so it's not just about inclining our ear to the voice of the Lord. That's only half of it. It's doing what he says and always making sure that what we believe that he says to us lines up with Scripture and never contradicts his own word, because God will never contradict his own word. So this story is about sheep and shepherds. Number two, it's also about thieves and robbers. Uh, Jesus mentions thieves and or robbers in verse 1, in verse 8, and in verse 10. These are those who pose a great threat to the sheep. And Jesus uses this illustration to call them out, these, these thieves and robbers, and to warn the sheep. Now, in its context, Jesus is calling out the religious leaders of his day who are not helping the sheep find salvation, but rather they are using the sheep for their own personal gain, or they are harming the sheep with their own man-made rules. Uh, We'll have more to talk about the religious leaders and what is a good shepherd versus a bad shepherd uh, next week when we Uh, Look at how Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. It actually is a continuation of this story. So we'll talk more about that next week. But here's what Jesus does point out about these thieves and robbers uh, in this story that we're looking at this morning. One of the things he says about them is that they, they try to climb into the sheep pen rather than going through the door. He said there in verse one, most assuredly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and robber. Meaning, since Jesus is the door to the sheep, since he's the only entry point, he says they, these thieves and robbers, are trying to circumvent the way to be saved by trying to get in without going through Jesus. And of course, the big way that the religious leaders were guilty in Jesus' day of being these false shepherds was that the way that they were teaching and practicing that you get into the sheep pen is by climbing over the fence, by doing works, by efforts that are man-made. And the fact of the matter is that we can't do enough good works to get to heaven. We can't work our way there. We only gain salvation through faith. And it's because God has given us Jesus as the gift of grace in our lives. And so... He calls them out for trying to climb into the sheep pen other than going through the way of the door. He also tells us basically that they are imposters because in verse 
8, he says, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. He's talking about those who came before him claiming to be Messiah, and it would just as true to say, and those who also come after Jesus who claim to be the Messiah. He is the only Messiah. He is the only Savior. So everyone who poses to be the Messiah, either before Jesus or since Jesus, is a false prophet and is an imposter. And then the the third thing that he says here about these thieves and robbers is that they intend to harm the sheep. That's what he means in verse 10 when he says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, if you've been a Christian for very long, you're probably aware that this verse is often uh, applied to Satan as the thief who's come to steal and kill and destroy. Uh, And of course, he is the ultimate thief. He is the ultimate robber because He intends you no good. Satan intends you only harm. He wants to kill you. He wants to steal from you. He wants to destroy your life, your marriage, your family, your business, everything about us. Satan hates us. And so he's going to always be trying to rip us off in some way. So, you know, he is the ultimate thief. And other scriptures reinforce this how he intends to do his harm. First Peter chapter five, verse eight says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Ephesians six verse 11 tells us to put on the full armor of God that we might take our stand against the devil. So the Bible does make it clear that Satan intends to do his harm. He is the ultimate thief who's come to steal and kill and destroy. The enemy is against you. God is for you. The enemy simply wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, zoe, life, and have it more abundantly. Or some translations say that you might have life to its fullest. Now, the good news is concerning the thieves and the robbers that Jesus says here that he is guarding the sheep pen. And so we can take comfort in the fact that even though there is an enemy who is after us, that Jesus is guarding the sheep pen and he's taking care of us, which leads us into the third and the final point of this story, which has to do with the door and the doorkeeper. And this is really the heart of Jesus's I am statement because he presents himself in this illustration as the door. Now, please notice with me in the verses related to the door and the doorkeeper that the direct article, the, is used here. Uh, Jesus does not say, I am a door. He is the door. Again, one of the big fallacies in the world today is the belief that you know all paths lead to God, that there are multiple paths, multiple ways, multiple doors. And Jesus disputes that by his statement that he is the door. He is the way. Now, I want to point it out again in verses 7 and 9, where Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And then in verse 9, he repeats it, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, obviously, in using this illustration, Jesus is communicating a point here. He is saying, when he says, I am the door, he's saying, I'm the entry point. I mean, a door is an entry point. You get access to a room or a place, or in this illustration, a sheep pen, 
by going through the door. That's the entry point. And the reference to both door and doorkeeper, which was mentioned back in verse 3, is the difference between country shepherds and city shepherds. So let me just explain when he uses this language, I am the door, but back in verse 3, he also talked about the doorkeeper, and nobody goes into the sheep pen except you go through the doorkeeper. There was a difference between how shepherds managed their sheep and the safety of their sheep, whether you were in the city or whether you were in the country. Now, I've already mentioned about what would happen if you took your sheep to a sheep pen in the city, there would be a doorkeeper there, and the doorkeeper would make sure that no harm came to the sheep and made sure that no sheep were lost. That was the the responsibility and the duty of the doorkeeper. So Jesus, in that sense, is the one who makes sure that none is lost, makes sure that no harm comes to us. He is the doorkeeper. But more specifically, he is the door, and this is what he says there in verse 7 and again in verse 9. And here's what rural shepherds would do. Out in the countryside, Uh, they would have to make their own makeshift sheep pens at night to keep the sheep together and protected uh, while uh, the shepherd would sleep. And so in the country, a shepherd would basically gather rocks uh, and gather, if if they were around, uh, uh, branches and limbs from trees and, and make a fence, square in a sheep pen and, and then through this one entryway that was there, he would then lead the sheep in. And then here's what the shepherd would do. At nighttime, the shepherd himself would lie down across the door of this makeshift sheep pen. And he himself would be, if you will, the door to make sure that the sheep were protected, that no harm would come to them. Because any wild animal like a, like a wolf, for example, that wanted to get to the sheep would have to go through the door, but the shepherd would be there always to protect the sheep. So Jesus is, again, using this illustration that would have been very familiar to people of his day, probably not so much to us. When he says, I'm the door, what is he talking about? What he's saying is, I'm the entry point to the sheep pen. And you can't get into the sheep pen except you go through me. And one of the first things that he's talking about here is salvation. Because he even specifically says there, You can't be saved unless you go through me the door. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus is the entry point and the only entry point. He is the door, not a door, to salvation. The way that you get your sins forgiven, the way that you get eternal life is through faith in Jesus Christ and through Jesus alone. He is the door into relationship with him. We can't climb over the fence. We can't get there by works. We can't do it ourselves. The only way to do it is to go through the door. And there he is using this picture of this wonderful, loving shepherd laying himself down, uh, literally just lying down at the doorway of the sheep pen to protect the sheep, to love the sheep, to make sure that none is lost. Jesus is the door. He's the entryway. He's the only entryway. You can't circumvent the entryway, and get saved any other way. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. But notice also verses 9 and 10. In verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, that language about going in and out is communicating to us. It is describing to us a liberated life, one who has been set free from the stronghold and the bondage of sin. He's expressing the fact that in relationship with him, 
There's liberty. There is freedom. Not liberty to sin, but being set free from the burden and the bondage and the weight and the guilt and the shame of sin. He says, if you have relationship with me as the door, you will be able to go in and out. You will have a freedom and a liberty like you've never known before. Being set free from that bondage and shame and the stronghold of sin. And then he adds in verse 10, that I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Did you know that God wants you to have a full life? He wants you to have an abundant life. And again, as we pointed out a couple of weeks ago, there are two Greek words for life. One is bios. When we talk about biology, the study of life, we're talking about physical life, human life, natural life. But the other Greek word is zoe, and it's the word that Jesus uses here. It's different from just biological life. Jesus is saying, I want to give you spiritual life, eternal life, fullness of life, a life that has joy despite the circumstances, a life that has hope despite sometimes the hopelessness in our world, a life that has peace no matter what is going on in your life, just that calm, steady, confident peace that God gives us, a life that really knows what true and genuine love is because we experience the love of the Lord. All these things are factors into an abundant life. Now, Jesus didn't promise you when he promises you and me an abundant life, a full life. He doesn't promise us a trouble-free life. He doesn't promise us a problem-free life. He promises us an abundant life in him. That in other words, no matter what life might throw your way, God is greater still, and we can have a joy and a peace. We can have a contentment and a satisfaction. We can have a a love and a hope in our hearts that only come from him. God wants you to have an abundant life in knowing him and having relationship with him. But the only way that you get there is through the door, and that door is Jesus. Do those things describe your life? A saved life? A life that is a liberated life? A life that is enjoying an abundant life? I mean, these are the things that Jesus said, I've come, first and foremost, to save us, to save us from our sin, to liberate us from the shame and the guilt, and to offer us a greater and richer life because we have relationship with him. So that even when this present life, bios, is over, we will experience eternal life, zoe, with him. Do you know Jesus as the door? Do you have a saved life, a liberated life, an abundant life? Because if you don't, I want to invite you today, right now, to make a decision for Jesus Christ as the way to be saved. He says, I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. If you don't know Christ as your Savior today, that's where it all begins. Before you can have a liberated life or an abundant life, it begins by knowing him as Savior. There's no other way to get saved, not by your own works, your own merit. You can't climb over the fence. You gotta go through the door, and that door is Jesus. 
Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been teaching about Jesus, defining who exactly He is and why He's so important to you. Jesus is the I Am, and He can change your life. If you have any questions or would like to share a prayer request with us, please contact us. You can reach us by calling 703-771-1500. You can also listen to more teachings in this series by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or just download our mobile app. That way you'll have biblical messages available to listen to whenever you want, wherever you are. We encourage you to continue reading about Jesus yourself as well. You can find Him in every book of the Bible, but we'd be happy to help point you towards specific scripture pertaining to his life and ministry. Just ask when you call. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. We'd love to meet you too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online, and you can find all the information you need on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in for this Jesus is the I Am series. And we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection.